beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. I am no expert in critiquing shows. I don't even watch ton of TV. I'm not even a good critic in terms of like giving reviews of anything, but this show wrecked me. And I think that's the ultimate accolade is that it stays with you. You can't shake it. It, it moves you. It changes you. It, you're thinking about her. She, it's, she becomes like a great book that you can't stop thinking about the characters. The same thing. There's some universal things like you're saying about having someone choose someone else, love unrequited being drawn to the thing that you can't have and yet allowing yourself to go there only to be set up for pain, but knowing all along that you would be hurt. Weird, weird family dynamics and a sense of not liking who you are and acting out because of it and then growing to be someone who loves who they are and acting in a way despite of it, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. And I think that ultimately... He does absolve her by loving her, even though he doesn't choose her for the rest of his life. He has mm-hmm. proven to her that she is worthy mm-hmm. of being loved. Absolutely. And capable of being loved. Capable of being seen all the way and still being cherished and wanted. Yes. It wasn't a lack of desire for him. Right. He does and absolve her. Yeah. He, he does absolve her, which is... I don't want to like stair step down into do we need another human to absolve mm-hmm. us and sure. man versus woman <laughs> it's and another podcast and priest versus yeah. you know however a love story plays out to have been loved like it'll pass yeah Tremaine, and this is the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. This is a bonus episode of the show, and it is veering way off of the normal path of providing prompts and connection. Although I would argue that when art, like the television show Fleabag that has brought us together today, 
When art inspires this kind of discussion, you really should just go with it. And that's what my friend Sue Ann Fortner and I are doing here today. This entire episode covers the television show Fleabag, created by, written by, and starring the amazing Phoebe Waller-Bridge. It is currently available in the U.S. on Amazon Prime. This year, the second and final season of Fleabag was nominated for 11 Emmys and won six, including Outstanding Comedy Series, Outstanding Lead Actress, and Outstanding Writing for a Comedy Series. I came to this amazing show late, and I started with season two. We discuss all of that with the episode. We do cover material, though, from both seasons. I've watched them both now more than once. If you are not finished watching both seasons, I highly suggest you press pause on this until you are done because we discuss all the spoilers and the major plot points here. The reason I'm doing this episode is because I wanted to talk about this show And the entire premise of 10 Things to Tell You is connecting with others, telling your stuff, paying attention to what lights you up, and talking about those things. And Fleabag definitely inspired a ton of thoughts and emotions in me and in a lot of you. So when I posted on Instagram last week that I had watched the show and that I was so affected by it, my friend Sue Ann messaged me that she was also greatly affected by Fleabag. And so we got together to hash it out with the microphone running. A little bit about Sue Ann, who is a mom, a friend of mine. We met through our kids. She is a founder with her husband, Hank, of Adopt Together, a nonprofit crowdfunding platform that bridges the gap between families who want to adopt and the children who need loving homes. You can find out more about the amazing organization Adopt Together at adopttogether.org. I will also link to it in the show notes. But aside from that important work that she is doing around adoption and making that affordable for the families who want to adopt, Sue Ann is also so smart and funny. And I just knew that this would be a really good conversation about a show that we both loved. Now, we are not TV critics by any means, and this discussion jumps around without an outline. It felt to me kind of how book club often feels. There's so many feelings. There's so much to say. If you are looking for expert television analysis, you are in the wrong place. But if you just have to talk about this show with someone, or if you want to hear two fans process out their many feelings about Fleabag, the hot priest, the sister Claire, the best friend Boo, well, here we are. One last thing, we recorded this on the fly in my home office and my setup was not totally perfect. It is fully my fault that you can hear bumps and thumps on the microphone throughout the episode. And I apologize so much for that. 
I'm a podcaster. I care a lot about sound and audio quality. I just couldn't let it go without acknowledging that the mic noises can sometimes be distracting, but life is a lesson. We learn things every day, folks. Hang with me. And now, on to our talk about the brilliant, hilarious, creative, and devastating television show, Fleabag. First season was 2016. How about a three-year hiatus? I know. Did you watch the first season? No, not back then. When did you watch the first season? All together. The summer. Season one, season two, in like one week span. Why did you watch it? My sister told me. She said, go watch this. Mm-hmm. You just binged it by yourself? Uh-huh. In bed, with headphones, eating chips, crying every night. So, you know, I just watched it last week. This is why we're recording this, because I like have to talk about it immediately. And I only watched it because it won six Emmys. Right. And so there was like all of this buzz. I mm-hmm. am not a big TV watcher. Jeff and I do not watch much TV at night. We have some real like milestone shows shows Mm -hmm. like we loved breaking bad Mm -hmm. we watched Mm -hmm. right now we're watching the righteous gemstones which Mm -hmm. we're super into Mm -hmm. but we're only watching that because jeff's cousin is on it oh really but now we're so into it like i love it so much but we're just not big tv is what i mean but fleabag won all the emmys last week or two weeks ago and then i just happened to go out to the desert to palm springs last week for a few days to get some work done. I needed to pound out some work that I just was not getting done here. So I went to the desert by myself for like three days. So I had some time because after I like write all day or work all day, I just need to decompress and I didn't want to read. I'm a big reader, but I didn't want to like fill my head in that way. I needed to like zone out and watch TV. So I took my friend Jamie Golden's advice. She does a pop culture podcast called The Popcast, which is all pop culture. And she said, everyone should go watch Fleabag, but you don't have to watch the first season. Just watch the second season. It gives like a recap of the first season at the beginning of the second season. So Did you watch the recap? Yes. Oh my gosh. So in bed at night alone, also, I binged the second season. I wept. I was so affected by the show and in a way that was actually ended up being unhelpful because I'm trying to do this deep creative work out in the desert and now I'm thinking about his hot priest and I'm like very affected by this show. Then I came home and watched the first season. Do you feel like a person should watch both? I'm so mad at your friend who I do not know who would tell you and advise thousands of people that they could watch season two standalone. I understand that it's a standalone in the sense that it picks up a year later. So you don't need, absolutely need certain information about her. You could technically watch it as a standalone. I do agree that technically you could. However, I was so mad because, especially as a writer, I felt season one introduces you to Fleabag. Her tragic life her choices what causes her to behave the way she behaves how she gets into this cycle so that when you pick up season two you are so rooting for her because you know where she came from you have a vested interest in her journey you know what she's overcome to get to where she's at so when they open up with the opening scene and they sit and she it has that type script where it kind of Brings you up to speed and she says that she's done the work, she's done the yoga, she's etc. 
you're cheering. I'm cheering because that was not Fleabag. I know. Season one. I'm hearing you. There were a lot of people in my... Do you disagree with me after watching season one and season two? I do medium disagree (gasps) with you. Really? But, But first of all, I only did it the way I did it. So I can't explain what it would feel like to have done it in the correct order. And a lot of people in my... DMs fully agree with you. Like they were like, you cannot appreciate the whole thing until you've watched the whole thing. But then I I have to tell you how many people were also in my DMs before I'd watched the first season when I was just got on Instagram and was talking about the second season and how it had wrecked me and like my whole week was over and it was terrible. So many people, I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot of people were saying that they had started Mm -hmm. the first season and didn't care for it. And stopped. And stopped. And so they were like, really, you know, can I really just skip to the second season or I don't really get it or whatever. And so, so that's why I medium disagree with you. I see what you're saying. Uh If you were, now that they're both out, Uh if you could like binge the whole thing, because it's not that long when we're talking about like five or six episodes. Yeah. yeah. Six episodes for the first season, six episodes for the second season. And they're less than 30 minutes long. So like, it's not a huge commitment of your life, but if you were turned off by the first season, yes. I know. I do I, I think that you. you could go. To th- the first season has some substantial differences. Obviously, they made it three years before. Yes. It's based on a play that she was doing. She has changed as a artist uh-huh. and Fleabag, the character, uh-huh. has really evolved. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's only a one-year difference yeah. in the show, but in real life, it was three years. Right, right. So, like, a lot has changed the pace of it changed. A lot, a lot of it changed. Even the tone <clears throat> mm-hmm. of, like, a lot, what a lot of people were feeling like, kind of yuck about in my messages was it's the first season is so sexual, so sexual in the way that like if that could be a turnoff. Mm-hmm. And also, but it kind of circles that topic for a number of episodes where you kind of want it to move on a bit. Yes, um, I do agree with you, Laura. Because the caveat I give people when they haven't watched it is I say start season one and you're going to hit a point where you're kind of like over the show, maybe just push through and get to episode five. So I do give that caveat. So I know what you're saying. And I do understand why your, your listeners were over it. I also feel like since I watched season two first, I could definitely see sort of the type of humor that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is going for and like, you know, exploring sexuality as a pain point and like some of those things. I could see it better because I'd watched season two first. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like if you just started with season one, which you probably should do as an artistic piece, let me just say for the record, you should watch the whole thing starting. It's, you should just, but you, you just should. have to make sure you do the whole thing. It's like rooting. It's like meeting your friend. At a point in their life when they're doing great and successful and awesome and happy. And you know, they're like, oh, I was in a dark place before. And you're like, sure. Okay, cool. Versus being with that friend through it and then seeing them become successful. You're like, yes, yes. I Like I believe, I feel she's my friend. Like, yes. I've walked her through her life. You know what I mean? I too was wrecked by the show. I also feel like the second season... To me, a lot of the first season treaded in a type of humor that I think women being really shocking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. I mean, I know a lot of people, men and women, like 
that's appealing and mm-hmm. funny and whatever. But to me, that's so much less interesting. Mm-hmm. Like women being shocking and sexually mm-hmm. shocking and like very outlandish in their sort of thing. That to me is just less interesting to watch than like the second season, mm-hmm. which is which to me felt more of like women in relationship, women being complicated, women in love. Mm-hmm. Just for me, this yeah. is just a personal preference. Yeah. yeah. Like I never liked that movie Bridesmaids or whatever. Mm-hmm. Even though I like I want to support those comics. I su- yeah. I like those comics. I want to support women being funny. I want to support, you know, women led movies. But I was like, I don't love this humor. I like a different type of humor. Mm-hmm. So I felt like there was a little bit of a difference between that of season one and season two. That yeah. well, for most it was less two, shocking and yeah. more, you know, really layered in season two. But isn't that the point? Isn't that what she was trying to do? Is she, this character, this person, our friend, <laughs> is overly hypersexual, focused, obsessed, masturbating, hooking up, nine orgasms a night, like going the full Monty, anyone to hook up with her out of pain and loss and grief and like so scared that she's not worthy because she hates herself actually. Where season two, she actually chooses to remain a bit celibate for most of the season because she's in touch with actually who she really is. She's come to a place of acceptance and forgiving herself and has actually fallen in love. Well, and she's also punishing herself, I feel like. Oh. At the beginning, mm-hmm. she's done all these things to get healthy. Mm-hmm. Like the pendulum has swung the other way, and she's kind of scared to go back into those quote-unquote problem situations kind of thing. A little bit, yeah. yeah because of the big reveal at mm-hmm. the end of season one. Now listen, this is a spoiler-full episode. So if you have not watched these, only listen if you don't plan on, because we are going to talk all the spoilers here. But I screamed out loud. <laughs> I screamed out loud. Wait, you didn't see it coming that she had been... Not see it coming. Not for one second. So I did see it coming that she had been the one that had... You already knew it because it was in the recap. It's not. They're actually very smart about how they do the recap. So you know that her friend died and got hit by the bus and you know that, but it does not Mm. really tell you that she's the reason why the friend died. Which... Hank's not coming too. I rewatched it with him, season one and two. I rewatched it with him. And second episode, she, he goes, she did it. I go, oh, interesting. <laughs> well, we shall see. And I'm just like, F you, how do you see this coming? I saw it coming a little bit too, but not by the second episode. Hank must be very good. I, but by the middle, because mm-hmm. they do little flashes mm-hmm. to her unbuttoning the mm-hmm. pants. And you know that... They flash yeah, to the friend right, being like, right. he slept with someone else. He slept with someone else. And then there, and I, so I just. You're just smart. I, I was completely lost and like, oh, she's having a sexual fantasy. <laughs> so that does make you back to the like season one, season two argument of she is in such a deep place uh, at oh. the end of season one of guilt and shame. And I'm a despicable human being. Yes. And I'm never going to have sex with anyone grief else again. And grief. And, and grief. She wishes she had died, you know? It had been her. And they never circle back to this. This is a total aside. But she does say in the second season, she's more clear than it is at the first season, that um, it kills her friend's accident. Her friend's like suicide Mm -hmm. slash accident kills three people. Oh, I missed that. They only say it once. 
the bike hit her and then she oh. and then she, it threw her into traffic and she got hit by a bus or whatever. Like they give one explanation of the whole thing and then they never circle back to you it. It wasn't it was me- just her it was friend. Metaphorical. You don't think it was metaphorical? That it killed her too? Like it killed Fleabag? Oh, maybe so. But who would be the third person? <laughs> Am I stupid? The boyfriend? Maybe not. I don't know. I okay. took it as literal. Of, oh, this was like a massive crazy accident. So it wasn't. Yeah. So not only is she carrying, well, if it's literal, not only is she carrying like her friend's sure. death, but innocent people's yeah, right, death. Right. Or, I mean, they're all innocent, but you know what I mean. If I could ask our friend Phoebe <laughs> a question, I would want to know if she wrote Fleabag from a personal experience or if this is how generally she views women and sexuality i thought it was very interesting that a woman a woman writer a female writer would write a season exploring a woman's hypersexuality with its genesis being pain and self-loathing not liberation and freedom from a feminist point of view i think we as women want to say that we're like men and our sexuality is free and open and can be spontaneous and shocking because of those cultural stereotypes that women shouldn't be that way. So I did think it was, I would want to know, did she, does she see it that way? Well, she gives one little speech in the cafe. I'm pretty sure this is in season one where she says, where she kind of like spells it out. It is in season one because um, the one thing that you don't get from season two, you understand that she stole the statue. Like all the inside jokes from the first one, I think you can get if you watch season two standalone. The one thing that you actually don't get is the banker guy Mm -hmm. who... um, The loan officer. The loan officer. And when he comes back at the end of season one to sort of give her Mm -hmm. the loan... She confesses. She, she confesses. And she has a thing. I actually think she's alone when she gives a little speech. Or maybe she's not alone. But anyway, she gives a little speech about, like, she's scared of growing older. She's scared yes. of what it's going to be when she's not sexually attractive. And that um, no one will want to do and her. And that no one will want to do her. And does does everyone think about this and not talk about it? Or am I broken yeah. in some way? Mm-hmm. And I felt like, oh, that's the thesis to the mm-hmm. to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Not just about sex. Although sex mm-hmm. is, like, the most tangible way to understand that concept but just like is there something that everyone's thinking about and not talking about or am i I the only one one? i thought that was the most powerful scene of the whole season it was so powerful and you also get to see her a few times this happens over both seasons but you really get to see her not hiding behind humor or sarcasm Mm -hmm. or the other broken people around her. It's just her alone saying, Yes, I'm broken. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. It's only a few times in the whole season that you see her actually be very truthful about what's going on inside. Because the whole season, she's being cheeky, sarcastic, dismissive, hilarious in a very crass way. And then you have this one moment where you're, or this one true intense moment where she kind of shares. Mm -hmm. Am I the only one? So the first 
episode of season two, I think is one of the most brilliant episodes Amazing. of anything I've so ever funny. watched ever. It's With 20 music. It's just them in the restaurant. It starts out with her bloody nose mm-hmm. and then she hands the towel to somebody yeah. bloody on the floor. You have no idea no what's idea. happening. They do that whole meal with Ugh, all the family, the family dynamics. All the family dynamics. And the hot priest who we're introduced to, obviously, for the first time. And he like says, wow, this is a really positive family. <laughs> oh. I think it's the best episode of television. First time I watched it and was it was great. It really was great. It was I was like, this is fantastic and yeah. I want to watch the rest. But the second time I watched it, I watched it like with my mouth open of like, yeah. this is not it's just so great. Brilliant. This is brilliant. With the waitress that keeps trying to pour the wine, who ends up being the one that gets hit. I mean, it's just so good. At the beginning of that first episode of season two, she looks at the camera and says, this is a love story. Mm-hmm. And I just got chills when I said it. Mm-hmm. Because... What's gotten so much buzz is the hot priest, mm-hmm. obviously. And mm-hmm. we're going to talk about that, of course, because who cannot talk about that? But, like, mm-hmm. I did when I did a rewatch, when she says this is a love story, and, like, I'm, I'm almost going to cry. I was, like, because to me, like, the relationship with her sister mm-hmm. is as important as the relationship with a priest. Mm-hmm. And the relationship to her dad, while not mm-hmm. as important, it is, like, and in, in the mom who never, you know, you never get to meet the mom, but just the the mom is always like ever present in the background all the time in every scene between the sisters and, and the dad. This is a love story. Mm-hmm. It's so true. It's a love story of her, of the sisters. You're absolutely right. Their annoyances, their anger, their betrayal, but ultimately through it all is this love that can, that, that threads through it. They haven't spoken in a year when it's season two it begins because of the bombshell at, at season one. They haven't spoken in a year. And at first meeting, she still chooses her sister over everybody to protect her and to lie for her and take the blame to save her sister's dignity and to take it as kind of is her role in the family, mm-hmm. you know, the scapegoat, but willing to do that to protect her sister at all costs. Totally. And then her sister ends up saying a few episodes later at the big party for her work when mm-hmm. she she basically admits i know that my husband kissed you right like they do continue to choose uh-huh. each other uh-huh. even though they reject each other reject each other <laughs> but when she says i when claire the sister who i unfortunately related to so much i'm so much more a claire than a flea bag 45 million times more of a claire than a flea bag <laughs> like i have very rigid rules I don't think things are funny that are like obviously funny. I like I just I'm just You're cold-hearted. I'm cold-hearted. You're trapped. I'm just like I'm super clear in my in my in my mind I am very clear. And when she says we are not friends, we are sisters, get your own friends. Mm-hmm. I was like this is Well, I mean I have a sister. My sister isn't like Fleabag or like Claire. I'm the only person in my actual literal sister relationship that is anything like this show. My sister's wonderful. But do you have a sister? I have two sisters. How did you take the Claire Fleabag relationship? Oh, I I couldn't get enough of, of their relationship. I actually wanted more. Because both are, they're so opposite. And they're this like magnetic force that does not want to be together and yet is always drawn back to each other. 
and keep, whether they choose it or not, keep choosing each other. So even that scene where she says, what you did was absolutely despicable. Thank you. You know, it's, it's Claire having to say like, you were terrible and you lied and that was horrible. And I thank you for it. You know, that understanding why you did it and that she needed it actually. Mm-hmm. And there was also, well, two things. When they've had this terrible dinner at the end of episode one, they've had this terrible, crazy dinner. And at the end, Claire's waiting for her with a taxi and they get in the taxi together and they're driving away. There's been a miscarriage. There's been a whatever. And Fleabag says, take us to the nearest hospital. And then there's like silence for quite a long time. And then Claire says, that priest is quite hot. And I was like, you're dead. It's, it's just like, that's what sisters are. You can have like the most, he- the heaviest thing that's happening and then somebody will like make a joke and it's fine or somebody will like say something completely off topic. And I, thought, I died laughing because it's such an intense scene where she's having miscarriage and she finally is allowing her sister to take her to the hospital and she's addressing the thing that both had thought the whole night <laughs> and it, the timing's inappropriate and it's not the thing you're supposed to quote unquote be like worried about right now you should be worried about your unborn baby but she's like that freaking priest you know it's just so good it's life it was so good and then you know i didn't catch this as heavy handed the first watch but the second watch of the second season which yes i watched it twice everybody should it's so good oh i caught a lot more of when Claire is having the miscarriage she says don't touch my miscarriage this is mine Mm -hmm. this is mine Mm -hmm. And then they go back to the table, and not that this was planned, but Fleabag ends up saying that she had the miscarriage. Mm -hmm. So in a way, she takes Mm -hmm. the miscarriage from Mm -hmm. the sister. Mm -hmm. And then later, again, I think it's episode three when they have the office party, Mm -hmm. and Claire gives the speech about how you, with your quirky cafe Mm -hmm. and your dead friend... You have everything. You have everything. You take everything from me. Like, let me just have the thing I have. All the attention, all the drama, all the energy. Which also makes sense that throughout the show, the godmother and the Claire's husband, they make frequent references to Fleabag of stop making this about you. Like, when are you going to stop making this about you? Being the center of attention. Yes. And as a viewer, you feel bad because you're like, she's not really trying to, you know. It finds her. (laughs) And there are those people where drama finds them. It doesn't matter what circumstance. It could be a a cocktail party for the art opening. It finds her. It comes with her. But it is interesting because you identify with Fleabag. So you're like, give her a break. She's not trying to do any of this. But there are those people in your life where you do identify. Be like, don't make this about you. Let me have something. Even if it's as terrible as a miscarriage. All of these things are tied, like funny people and pain and mm-hmm. making it about them. Mm-hmm. They're they're not tr- from their perspective because we get to live it as mm-hmm. fleabag sort of. Mm-hmm. She's not really trying to, but I can see how if you're Claire or even the like hilarious godmother Olivia Coleman, who is brilliant. I oh. mean, is there a better character on television? Than I thought that she woman? was unbelievable with how she held this restrained hatred with a smile. And actually using kind words, but with a tone that just wants to kill you. It was unbelievable. It was the best. She was amazing. I could not. I just wanted to back up every scene with her. 
Because she's so... I'm smiling the whole time. Smiling the whole time. And saying like the worst smoke's cutting. Mm-hmm. She gets meaner as oh, it yeah, goes on. She but she still smiles the whole time. Okay, so I want to talk about... Obviously, we're going to give some real time to the hot priest. But first, I want to talk a little bit about... Well, two things. One, God and religion in general in the show. And two, judging by like the messages I was getting on social media and my own reaction when I finished the whole thing. Why are we so wrecked by this? It is not the first love story we've ever watched. It's not the first unrequited love we've ever watched. Like what about this particular relationship and show has taken every woman I know just, I need a mental health day. (laughs) I can't recover. Like why does it do that? But why? Do we need to tell listeners, first and foremost, that you and I are both happily married (laughs) to wonderful men? I mean, great sex. I feel like we need to just say, everybody needs to know that before we get into how this love story took us all the way down. (laughs) Nine orgasms, no problem. Why don't you answer first? To start with the surfacey reasons, I genuinely think... That this would be a different show if they were Americans. Yes. I genuinely think that they're British and Irish. Mm-hmm. The accents, mm-hmm. and there's some just some elements to the humor mm-hmm. and the whatever, that touches us in a way that we don't get with American TV. Which is why British TV is better. Which is why British TV is amazing. Yeah. But it also, it really like affects us in a way that we're not used to. I think this this goes both ways across the pond. I think this is why yeah, the rest of the world... Because you're not used to it. Yes. Yeah, it, it kind of takes you out of your kind of norm. It's romantic to us. Like Mm -hmm. the accents and the whatever. It's different. Like this is the same reason why like the rest of the world responds to American made art. So I do think that that sort of shallowish reason is that we were, we're sort of in love with the priest, Andrew Scott, who's an amazing actor. And, and I mean, he's truly an amazing actor and he is very attractive. I also think that the foreign element is like touches (laughs) Us it's in also, one way. But also the fact that he was a priest. If he came in as available single dude met at a bar, you would not be as attracted to him. He is untouchable. He is unavailable from the get-go. He's unavailable, untouchable, not part of what is supposed to happen. Yes. And you are taken aback because now you want this person that cannot be wanted. Or cannot and be he's unavailable in a way. It's not like he's married where we could hate the wife or like direct our anger in any way. Like he is unavailable because of God. He's unavailable in a way that makes you want to make him available. <laughs> right. Like he's unavailable for the ultimate highest, you know, How did cause. the show, I was really confronted with this. How am I rooting for this priest to leave everything that he says has made his life what it is? His calling, his passion, the thing he's chosen. He says, if I fall in love with you, I'm fucked. This is what he wants to do, and yet I'm rooting for him to leave all of that behind for this romantic notion of falling in love. When she's actually already slept with the lawyer the night, the night before. Totally. So there's no guarantee that leaving all of this for her will end with a happy life. Totally. Or even a faithful partner. Or even what he wants, and yet I'm rooting for him to give it a chance. It's so crazy. Well, also, you can see why she's attracted to him. He is cute and quirky and, you know, there's a lot of reasons why 
he is like obviously a person that you would want to sleep with. But there is a thing. Why is he attracted to Mm -hmm. her? And you want, I think that one of the reasons that it touches us so much, even if you don't personally relate to Fleabag, what I think we do relate to is we all feel despicable in some way, whatever Mm -hmm. our own issues are, and that that someone that good as he is and someone that, and he's not perfect by any means, but that someone as like attractive and who's really trying to like live his calling and whatever would be attracted to Mm -hmm. our own versions of whatever our own flea baggedness is. Mm -hmm. And then also, and this is my last part of this answer, obviously at the very end, which is, I'll never be over it. (laughs) When he says it'll pass, I wept. I backed it up a bunch of times and watched it over and over. <laughs> and then he walks away. And when he finally says, he says, I love you too. But he says it sort of casually. And then he walks away. Anyway, that whole scene, which it will oh. never, I'll never, ever, 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 ever be over it. But I was thinking about it later on my drive home from Palm Springs. And I was really, truly thinking like, why did this affect me so much? And I do think a lot of people relate to the love story of, someone choosing the other thing. Mm -hmm. Whatever the other thing is, Mm -hmm. another person. The career. A career. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't always have to be God, although that's what made it Mm -hmm. like so deeply heartfelt here. But like, I mean, I know Mm -hmm. I have that story in my life of like somebody chose something else. Mm -hmm. And that is devastating. (laughs) No matter how you look at it, you Mm -hmm. remember how you felt when someone chose something else. And when he says it'll pass, I'm screaming, no, you don't know what she's been through to get to this place. This is real for her. This is not a fling. This is the love that she's found. It won't pass. You're just desperate for him to understand how deep it is for her. And also you kind of hate him that he sees it as something that would pass. But his relationship with God or his priesthood is the thing that will last forever for him, you know? It also makes you wonder... When he says it'll pass, and I don't want to be ungenerous towards him because I I was like half in love with him as well, but like it makes you wonder, has he done this before? Sure. Has he been there? Has he been Mm -hmm. there before? Because in the very like pivotal scene when they're on the bench, I think it's episode three of season two, when they're on the bench, when he reveals that he's scared of foxes and that whole thing, when he looks at her and says very earnestly, we're never going to have sex. That whole scene, she also says, has this happened to you before? I can't remember what he says, but I mean, he alludes to the fact that he's been in love before. Mm-hmm. He's had a sure. lot of sex before right. or whatever. Right. That's right. why celibacy isn't yeah. like the worst thing in his life. Yeah. And I watched it again and noted that the specific script makes it sound like, I think he says, before this, before I found this. It makes it sound mm-hmm. like he's sort of saying, before I found the priesthood. Yeah, before he found God. Yeah, I had mm-hmm. a lot of heartbreak and yeah. a lot this, of sex. This saved his life. In essence. But it does make you think. He's like, I've been there before. You're good. <laughs> kind yeah, of. Yeah. You're, you're going to be fine. <laughs> a little bit. Cue the fox. Yeah. Can we go back to something you said? Yes. About everyone having something like Fleabag that you either hate about yourself or find unworthy of love or find terrible about yourself. And that could someone this amazing, good, kind, love me. I think this is the part that wrecked me is that or and took me by surprise is that he 
sees her fully for who she is. It's the only time, only person in her life who calls her out when she pulls away from him to connect with the audience. She looks at us, she makes, she winks at us, she makes a cheeky grin, and he says, hold up, hold up, where'd you go just now? Where'd you go? And it's her, and she's shocked because no one's ever seen her do that. Mm-hmm. Ever caught her do that, ever identified that. And he's seeing her, quote unquote, her, who she is. Yes. And you're wrecked because that's the love that you want in somebody. You want that for a partner to see you and then still choose you. Not choosing you because they didn't see that part of you. I see it and I love it. And it evolves throughout the course of the relationship. Mm-hmm. At first he asks, where'd you go? Because he senses a shift in her energy. It's an energy shift. Like, oh, whoa, you pulled away from me. But later he actually hears what she's saying. When she says the comment about his neck. Oh my God, his thick neck. And he goes, what about my neck? And she's turned on just by the girth of his neck <laughs> because he's knowing her. So once, once what was an energy shift, he actually now can hear her thoughts and like knows her so intricately that he can almost connect with her on that deeper level. That wrecked me. I'm sobbing because that's what I have with my husband. That's why we fell in love. Mm. I felt like Hank saw me. Show, show, show. Here I am. Tap dance for you. Ha ha. Funny. Work in a room. Being social. Being funny. All true to me. But I felt like what Hank did was, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where'd you just go right there? Mm. Where'd your thought go? What did you, why did you do that thing? You looked away. Where, where was that? And I was caught by surprise. Like, what? No. What? Pfft, what are you talking about? What? I'm good. <laughs> but he caught the moments. He caught the things that were truly me. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Here's the other reason to wreck me. Is because you're lulled into this show. You're like, oh, funny, British, humor, sarcastic, cheeky, inappropriate, sexual, over the top. And you're laughing and you're having a good time. And then she tricks you. She lulls you into being slapped in the face with tragedy. And tragedy is what I'm surrounded by. I'm surrounded by beautiful things, but real life is also full of very, very tragic, heartbreaking moments that actually we escape every day through different mediums, but TV is one of them. So I'm watching shows where I identify with the protagonist, but I'm actually not her. I'm never going to be a run a heist and rob <laughs> a bank. But oh, when I'm watching that show, yeah, da, 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 I'm going to do that. You're, you're escaping. And that's what I thought I was doing with the show is like something to entertain me, make me laugh, entertain me while I'm, you know, it's night and I'm tired and I want to like unwind. And then she tricks you and you're faced with actually the tragedy of life and my life and the tragedy I face in my life in my internal world about Mm -hmm. who I am, the tragic parts that I deal with, but also in my outer world of my friends and my community and my family. And... I think that part is the wrecking is you have, you can't look away. Mm -hmm. You can't look away from her life and you can't look away from your life. The wrecking is realizing that life is beautifully tragic and you have to see both of it. And you're in the show and you're watching her tragedy unfold the beauty of it. And you're rooting for her. But the end I'm wrecked because I want this happy ending and it's real life, which is he has a different calling. He has something else he wants to do. He has something else he's choosing, and it's not her. And she's weirdly okay with it. When he says it'll pass, I mean, 
I'm sobbing on the floor. And she walks away. She walks away. Like, she is going to be okay. And she says bye to us. And Fleabag is over forever, by the way. I know. I can't talk about that I one. can't. I'm angry. I felt betrayed. Let's but talk- I went back and watched it, and she says bye to us because she is okay. She doesn't need us in her life anymore. She has moved on beyond this. She's leaving him. She's leaving us. And she's walking away and waves to us after saying peace to the fox to be like, we're, de- we're good now. Ugh. Let's talk about the God aspect because you and I both have relationship to God. Can mm-hmm. I say that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's not nothing mm-hmm. in our life. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we already talked about falling in love with a priest as the ultimate unattainable person. But then there's also the element of, which this is a part that you don't fully get if you haven't watched season one. So I didn't get this fully the first part. Although I I still stand by that like, <laughs> you can come into this without knowing the full extent of her mistakes and despicableness and still appreciate her as a person. But falling in love with a priest or being in this proximity to God, it's almost like, you know, in the therapy scene when she's in the therapist and, and the therapist says, do you really want to... F the priest, or do you want to F God? Mm-hmm. And she says, she can laughs I? and says, can I F God? And the therapist says, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that really like struck me because I thought, you know, are we sometimes attracted to a person who will absolve us? And again, it's not that he's not hot mm-hmm. and whatever, mm-hmm. but like he is. The power to do so. Yes. Mm-hmm. He is in his life. Uh, that is his calling is to absolve people of their sins and it's not an accident that she's attracted to a person who has that power or that connection to a higher Mm -hmm. power or whatever which then brings us to what i believe to be the worst hardest scene of all seasons of both of them is in the confessional he makes her go in the confessional they're both drunk This is the part, and this is where you really find out how not perfect he is, right? Because he's kind of been on a pedestal. He's a funny, sexy, what does she call him? Like a cool, sweary priest. Mm -hmm. A cool priest, yeah. And he, I don't want to say baits her because he's a priest after all, but he gets her to say her sins and he gets her to say what she really wants. And she does this whole speech about what she really wants is someone to tell her what to do and what to believe. And then she says, tell me what to do, Father. And he says, kneel. Just kneel. She gets down on her knees. And she's having an authentic moment. She's having mm-hmm. a real God moment. Mm-hmm. She is. And then he comes around and he kisses her. And I'm furious. Like, even though I wanted him to kiss her. Like, to me, this mix-up of of God and religion and then now a sexual, mm. introducing a sexual element to it, when she's having kind of a God moment is the opposite of like, he's been always having a God moment mm-hmm. and she's always trying to introduce a sexual moment. And now they've swapped. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They swap, they swapped and her vulnerability is actually what turns him on. Like her being so vulnerable and open, it, it draws him to her, which is problematic, which is problematic. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, can I say this? I'm not, you That's know, so interesting. You got mad about it. Oh, I was furious. Like, I was so interested because you're not necessarily, you know, a religious person. No, and I'm definitely not a Catholic. So so I don't even. I'm so curious where that reaction came from. 
I could understand someone who's Catholic or religious having big feels about it because it's sacrilegious to a very sacred, holy experience for them. But for you as someone who doesn't practice that, why was that infuriating? It did feel to me like, I mean, she gets down on her knees and it felt to me like submissive in a way that I was irritated by Mm -hmm. because they've had a balance of power throughout, you know, Mm -hmm. like for Mm -hmm. whatever reason, sexual power or priestly power or whatever. And so then for her to be having a God moment and for her to physically get on her knees, she's doing what he says, Mm -hmm. which also has other obviously Mm -hmm. sexual implications. Mm -hmm. And then for him to then kiss her, like I was furious. It's not that I I had wanted him to kiss her in other scenes. Yes. In another way. In another way. With a different dynamic. Yeah. Now I did have someone message me a fan theory. Okay. Are we allowed? To, I, yes. I'm going to share it anyway because it was so, it stopped me and then I couldn't even think for an hour. <laughs> Someone messaged me that they'd read on a fan board, that they'd been, you know, they'd fallen down the rabbit hole of the internet of Fleabag and they were reading things and that what he's actually saying there, and I watched the scene again to make sure, because she says, tell me what to do, father, is her line. And he says, kneel, uh-huh. just kneel. Uh-huh. And the fan theory is that he's saying, that's his name, Neil, N-E-I-L. No, no. Yes. Like, call me Neil. I'm not father in this moment. And that's why, like, I'm not, we're not, and now I can kiss you. Just call, like, she says, tell me what to do, father. And he's like, Neil. Like, um, he doesn't say the just call me. Like, I'm Neil. Because we never know his name. We never know his name. That's not his name. It cannot be his name. We don't know his name. His name is father. Or the priest. Or the hot priest. Interesting fan theory. Thank you, fan, for sharing that. I don't. I don't agree. It's the only thing that made that scene okay for me, and so I, I think ha- it's what a priest would say: is kneel, you get in a humble state. You're in a humble position. You want to be told what to do. Kneel, and then I think it takes it takes him over, and he can't. Well, that makes me mad at him. Okay, and then God intervenes, and then God makes the thing crash to God. the ground, which they, has happened twice, and they stop, and they stop. It's the thing that stops them. Because the priest believes that that's God. Mm-hmm. Because in a, that's a throwback to another mm-hmm. scene where she has said, I'm an atheist. And a thing drops. A painting drops. Yeah. And so when that happens again, he, in his belief system, he truly believes that that's God communicating yes. to him. It's God protecting him because he was about to go too far. Right. And he already had gone too far, actually. Well, and then, of course, after all of this scene that we're talking about, they end up going ultimate far. They... They do end up having sex, which, can I just talk for a second about... We're not allowed to watch. How are they... Yeah, how... It's... We're not allowed to watch it. Mm-hmm. When we've seen her have sex... Mm-hmm. She she looks like... She looks at us, and she puts... And she closes us down. Which, by the way, her looking at us... Can we talk about that? Can we talk about this for a second? Crossing the fourth wall? Yeah, we probably should have started with that, because that's, like, such a huge thing. It's a show. huge part of the show. There are other shows that have done that, but I think the way that... She does this in this show is amazing. She does to us what the priest does to her. She pulls away from the priest to look at us and to confer with us, her her soulmates, and he calls her out like, "Where are you going? What are you doing? What is that?" But she does that to us. She's looking at us, drawing us in. But actually, she's doing that to us to check ourselves. Don't you think? We're having a moment, and she looks over at us like, "Yeah, you've seen this too." But we're having a moment about ourselves. 
we're resonating with it, we're identifying our own struggles, we feel like we're her, we have loss and tragedy, we're grieving, we've done horrible things. And in all those scenes, she looks at us like, yeah, you know. What do you think? I think she connects... Totally wrong. (laughs) No, not wrong. I just haven't thought about that way, so I have to think about that. I think that she connects to us as the audience through both scenes. And, like, think of other shows or movies that have done this very famously. I think the first one that comes to mind is Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Mm -hmm. where that was... It was Mm -hmm. a big deal at the Mm -hmm. time. Like, you know, it was a whole new thing. The Office, office, obviously, mm -hmm. is a is a big one where it really connects the audience to the person on screen. And for a lot of the time, she's using it as not just a connection, but also a little bit of a narration. Mm -hmm. And, but when it's time to sleep with him, there is no, we're not let in on that part. Like that part's private. Yeah. And it's interesting because we're given no hint I thought this was so interesting. That's when you know it's real. But you, but also you were given no hint of if, as opposed to every other sex scene that she's had, even with the lawyer that we don't actually see, but then she yeah. talks about. We, we are given no hint of if the sex was good. None. And what she says to him the next day, which what would most people say after a night of sex? Like, you know, that was amazing or I, or they're not going to say I love you yet, perhaps, but like, that was good. There's lots of mm-hmm. things to say, like. I don't know, that you would say. And what she says is, I can't believe you did that. That's what she says. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Because that supersedes how it was. To her, it's a gesture that that's how much he wanted her. I know, but doesn't that, if you're him, aren't you thinking, you're right, I can't believe I did that. Whereas if she had greeted him, like, I can't believe I did this. Whereas if she had greeted him with... You are amazing. Yeah, right. Maybe he would feel, wake up differently in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. I didn't like how she said that, though. I did think that. That she said, I, I can't believe you did that. I, I did have a moment in the next morning. But then I was, then I questioned myself. Why do I care that she said that? Why do I feel like she had to affirm his sexual prowess? Because I wanted her to affirm him so he would keep doing it. And their relationship would be going. And why? Because she's, she's like, I can't believe you did that. That's amazing that you did that. She doesn't say that's amazing. But that's what she means. <laughs> I think. But we want her. What you just said is exactly right. As women, we are conditioned to say, "Yeah, you were amazing. You were amazing. That was amazing. Say things that will affirm what was happening to encourage that to happen again. And I wanted in the show... I was actively wanting her to do that so he, he would do that again. But she doesn't. She doesn't. She says, why would you? I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you did that. And then they go to the, is it the next day or whatever? They go the to the wedding and there's that whole scene. And at no time does she ever say, you were amazing. In fact, when they take the smoke break and he like starts kissing her before the wedding oh, and she says, and he was like this, what does he say? And then she says, is it me or is it God? Yeah. Which means something different later. Because yeah. yeah. when you see it the first time, you think you that think. she just means like, are you excited? Because totally. whatever. Mm. It's so good. I think um, her Emmy win was so well, so deserved for her lead actress role. 
because she's actually playing two roles. She's playing the role of Fleabag, and then she's breaking that role in the same scene, and then she's taking on the character of the one that looks at you. Like, I think the role that, when she's looking at us, it's a different role than Fleabag. Like, she channels a different part of her acting. No? I No, I see. I think she deserves... I think that's really hard to do, is to break out of character. I'm not an actor. But to break out of character, to have a moment breaking the fourth hole with the audience, to act in a way that engages you, which is different than the way the Fleabag is engaging the scene. No, you're right. It is. It's two different. It's two different things. Mm-hmm. To act in a way that connects us, draws us in, makes us on her side, wink, wink, we're back in, and then to regroup with the scene. She's how she does it is seamless and is so has so much continuity, but it's actually so many different roles and places to be. I thought that was what made her acting so amazing. I think she does have a true um, spiritual experience as an atheist in the show. Yeah, I do too. She's the self-proclaimed atheist throughout. She's kind of like very, very insistent on that, you know, that she doesn't believe the Bible. But there are different things about her that she's so curious about the spiritual world. She like smells the Bible, wants to be in it, and is drawn to, you know, the figures of Mary and all these kind of biblical figures in the Catholic Church. And even her in the confessional, she truly engages in an authentic way. And I think goes a place that she didn't expect to go. He ruins it. Terrible. Let's not even go about Catholic priests ruining sexuality and <laughs> authentic vulnerable moments. But I think she experiences God in a way throughout the journey that she didn't before. And that's why at the end, she's okay with it. I don't think she'd be okay with it if she didn't truly was an atheist and didn't believe in, the, in a God, but she's okay with it because I think she identifies like this is something for him. Yeah. And there's little elements all the time, like even when the fox pops up, which is not just a wink to his own fears and whatever, but between the fox and the paintings dropping every time that there's something sacrilegious said or done, there is something to this, despite what you say. Mm-hmm. Even the, the paintings falling at the appropriate times, there's something to it. There's this other spiritual world happening at the same time that they're giving nod to. Yeah. Yeah. Are we to believe that the godmother and the dead mother were lovers? Oh, because of the um, sculpture? Mm-hmm. Because when she says this was based off your mom. I never thought of that, no. I just thought it was her being a very sexually aware painter, <laughs> appreciating the woman's, a woman's body. Oh, another scene that I really loved. The scene with the woman who won, who wins Businesswoman of the Year. Oh, yeah. There that was, was that scene. scene. It was an amazing scene. I have a confession. I am envious. I want to be Fleabag. I don't, I don't think you're supposed to want to be her as you're watching the show. No, I don't want to be her. Why do you want, I want to, to be her? Because of- I was envious of her. I could give two Fs about you and what you think, about her free spirit nature, how she didn't hide her pain or try to stifle it. When she was upset at the art gallery, she just dropping the champagne glasses, just expressing exactly how she felt. I was envious of that kind of, though dysfunctional, that kind of expression and freedom. So see, I didn't read it as as like... I don't care what anyone thinks. Like, I thought she cared what everybody thought. Like, she's very insecure to me. I think there are very few people in life, my husband is actually one, and I think he's super rare, who actually genuinely don't care what other people think. I think that the people who are 
outwardly and overtly and very like, I don't give any ifs, are the most most. insecure. And so I was taking that from her. Now, one thing that I did that did make me really sad is she seems to be much more secure in herself and much more uh, Mm -hmm. just confident and happy with all the scenes with her best friend. All of those scenes Mm -hmm. seem to be like, again, this is a love story. Mm -hmm. Although that was mostly season one. They do some flashbacks to the best friend in season two, but it's, it's heavily in season one. When you really see their relation, like longer scenes of their relationship and truly themselves, authentic, absolutely free. So it felt like so much happiness. Yeah. She was in a loving relationship Mm -hmm. with the best friend. And then she ruined that. Mm -hmm. She slept with the boyfriend, Mm -hmm. even if, I mean, it seems to imply that the best friend didn't know Mm -hmm. that she was the one, right? right? But, but then I just kept thinking, this is a total side note, but I, when I did a rewatch, I was thinking, you know, I know this is all fiction, but like, how would this have played out if the best friend had found out that it had right. been her? Yeah, it would have been a different sort of tragedy. Which there's a lot of people who have that experience, who have that story in their life. Right. So that friendship, now right. literally not death and all of that kind of thing, but it yeah. still would have ended that friendship. Totally. So, you know, in some ways, you're like the absolutely dramatic death and suicide accident was it's good for tv but this happens in real life you still lose those friendships over something you did mm-hmm. and you have to live with that and you have to live with it mm-hmm. and you're like never you never have a best friend like that again or right. you know whatever yeah and it's worse in real life because then all your friends now are hurt their friends now and you lose more than one friend actually but then back to the scene with the woman who won woman in business in the bar when she says people are all we have Mm -hmm. like people are all we have Mm -hmm. and that's the only person who gives that message Mm -hmm. in the whole whole thing Mm -hmm. everyone else is choosing something else the sister the dad the priest Mm -hmm. they're all choosing like other things and so for that message to come from the award winner Mm -hmm. to be like people are all we have walking into a crowded room is like the best Mm -hmm. feeling and she's the only one who gives that message Mm -hmm. yeah her winning the emmys and her acceptance speeches and me being so happy definitely by one i didn't i didn't hadn't even thought about you know award season so i hadn't even dreamt about would this win would she win would she do you know the thing that no one has ever done and like break Veep's run, you know, <laughs> her seeing her on stage accepting the award and being so funny and authentic and real and being Fleabag, that was my goodbye. It was the closure I needed. I had no closure at the end of season two. I did not know it was over. I thought season three was coming until a friend told me that they had read that was the end of it, in which I felt anger, betrayal, hatred. And I went back to watch the last season to see if there was any indication that it was truly over. And then I realized I missed it, that she actually did say bye to us. She did leave us. I was just probably bawling so much I couldn't see through my tears. So then I had that moment where I wasn't ready to say goodbye, but someone else is ready to say goodbye. And I'm I'm waiting. I want them to wait for me to get there, but she's already left me. Where To me, the Emmy win was my peace. Goodbye. Goodbye. We Go all did here. it. <laughs> we did it, you guys. We had nothing to we do with it. We did it. Oh, I want to be her friend so bad in real life. I did read a thing oh. online that 
an interview that she gave where she said when they were shooting that last scene with the priest at the bus stop, that for the first, she'd been playing this role for six years because it was originally a stage production. The parts of it were different for TV, but she'd been playing Fleabag for years. When they shot that last scene, that for the first time in her whole life ever, she felt the character leave her body. Wow. And it was like a tangible confirmation for her that it was... It was done. It was done. That's right, because she did a one-woman show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was... Fleabag had left her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. Because that was a very powerful scene. Oh, I backed it up and watched it over and over. Oh. I didn't know. I thought he was meeting her the bus for them to go home and have another session. Me too. I was ready. <laughs> I was like, let's get this thing going. <laughs> Just listen to the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.